Selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... As easy as pie? Sure. All you have to do is enter your license plate or VIN. As easy as a stroll in the park. Okay. Then just answer a few questions and you'll get a real offer in seconds. As easy as singing. Why not? Schedule a pickup or drop-off and Carvana will pay you that amount right on the spot. As easy as playing guitar. Actually, I find that kind of difficult. But selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... Can be. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get an instant offer today. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Fighting a Genius podcast, the finale, the grand finale, uh, the grand final, pardon me, the grand final. My name is Naomi. I am joined by my amazing co-host who always takes the elevator up. Joshua, Joshua, how are you doing? I'm so, so excited. I'm ready to talk about this episode. I have a lot of strong feelings about it. Um, there's, there's, there's so much to get into. I can't even quite comprehend just how much there is to discuss about this episode. I might have more to say in this episode than I did in the first one we did. And there was four episodes to talk about there. Like, there's so much going on. It's, it's a whole lot. And somehow it's like there's more to it than an episode of the Korean genius. So uh, I <laughs> I cannot wait to talk about it all. Uh, so if you are listening, this is a complete spoiler alert for not only the finale of The Genius Netherlands, the eighth episode, but also for the entirety of The Genius Netherlands, the whole show in its entirety. And I'll give a slight spoiler alert for season two of The Genius, the final three and final two. Because... A lot of what happens in this episode is relevant to those uh, games and those main matches and uh, finale matches. So if you haven't seen The Genius Season 2, I recommend you don't listen to this because I think we're going to talk in depth about it a lot. So with that spoiler alert out of the way, with everybody closing their laptops and turning off their podcast apps, Joshua, in the grand scheme of Genius finales, where does this one rank to you? This is really difficult to rank as a finale. It's in my head, I almost have to compare this to the last two episodes of any given season. Like I, I kind of have to band them together because it's just too incomparable. So for those who have not seen the Korean version before, in the Korean version, there's 13 people and there's 12 episodes. So the final episode is a final two, and it is a best two out of three in in two or three death matches the eliminated players all also come back and they get to hand out different advantages to players within death matches so the eliminated players do come back and have a bit of influence but it's not quite the same as here here they quite they combine the last two episodes where the final three play death um the main match where and the top two are going to advance i will leave out the whole other nonsense for the moment just so we talk about this concept but yeah, so having the final three go down to a final two, I really like that idea on paper. And I kind of like there only being one death match because in the actual show, the big problem that the genius finale has always had is you could always tell how the second death match was going to go every single time mm. just by looking at the round count of the episode, which to me was always a big failure of the finales. And I never thought the genius finales were that good. I think this is... All of that because it's exciting the whole time. However, there is the drawback of the numerous twists that happen. I think that's totally fair. To me, I always like the idea of having like three chances to secure your victory. You know, you only need to win two games. 
but at the same time, it always is disappointing when you can tell that a finale is going to be uh, over pretty quickly. I kind of miss the pomp and circumstance of the regular Korean genius finale. I miss the players coming back. I miss the idea that they're talking about who they're rooting for because it re-emphasizes that the genius is kind of a social game, right? Where you you want people, uh, because if you maybe don't know, in the Korean version of the genius, uh, the eliminated players will give power-ups, randomly selected power-ups, to the final two. And if you are somebody who's more beloved or less beloved, it would affect how you receive power-ups. And I always did enjoy that. But to me, I think that this is missing a little bit of the fun of seeing everybody come back. And I wish it had more. I wish it had a little bit more fun with the whole cast. Because when you watch the genius Korea, there's a lot more charisma that's just like leaping off the page with the cast. And it's not so much here. So it would be nice to see them all get together again. Yeah, because you even saw, like, when those three eliminated players got to come back, like, you kind of saw, like, there was this fun energy that came in for a little bit of it, in spite of the fact that these people would get back into the game. Like, so it was nice seeing them all back together. And I would have loved to have seen, especially some of those early boots come back. Like, no shade to the three people at the back, because I love all them as players, but there are people earlier in the game that I would have liked to have seen back. Not necessarily because they are better players or people I like more, but just because we did not see much of them across the competition. So, like, some people, like, people like Risk or Jasper, Nazar, I can take a leap, honestly, and Roxanne, like, I would have loved to have seen them come back just to see them on my screen again. Yeah, and I also think you need Agents of Chaos, and, and we'll get to it in a little bit, um, in a game like uh, the Elevator Game, Final Destination, whatever it's called. Uh, in my head, it's Elevator Game. But you need an Agent of Chaos, most certainly, to... Uh, to not let the game be so straightforward, but also be so boring. Because I think that the game was pretty boring until Fabian decided to start getting mad. So let's start with explaining Final Destination, I guess. Joshua, how does Final Destination work? Okay, so in Final Destination, or Elevator Game, there are two groups of three. And I think before we even get into the game, I think we need to... Mm -hmm go over this two groups of three situation. So three people yeah. come back. So in the original Korean version, the show kind of just handpicked three people that made good television. Here they picked the last three people that were eliminated. And there's a very good reason why they chose the last three people specifically, because plot twist, these people are suddenly eligible to still win the show. Before uh, we get into the depths of this game, how do you feel about the fact that over half the cast is still eligible to win going into the last episode all of a sudden? I mean, my, my one, you know, I guess it's not for money, right? So, okay, sure. But if I was playing for like, you know, 600,000 won or whatever, 6 million won or however much, it's always so many zeros after the prize in the Korean Genius. Mm -hmm. I would be pissed as hell if it was like, oh, by the way, these three can come in and win the entire game. If I've sent them home, if I've sent somebody like Jin Ho home, I'm pissed as fuck if they're back and they can win the game. Winning because in in the Korean genius they can win, uh, I believe twenty thousand won. Like yes, yeah. So in the original version, the three eliminated players came back and they played as a team. And if they won, every eliminated player, so all ten of the eliminated players, all got the value of two garnets. So they weren't playing for themselves; they were representing all the eliminated players. Hence, why it didn't really matter who came back. 
mm-hmm. mean, it did, but in order to, because it did impact who was there. But in terms of who should get a prize or not, it didn't matter who was there. But here, they're playing for something that is, at least to the finalists, a lot more of a big deal. Yeah, and I, I think that's just not fair. I don't, I don't like it. I also don't like, uh, in the show, like, The Genius... To me, there is no element of it that can justify returning players. It's actually kind of like Survivor, where you really shouldn't be able to get back into the game. Have I maybe won orgs where I've gotten back into Survivor games? Yes, but that still doesn't mean I have to like it. It just worked out for me that one time. But to me, it's it's not something that is at all an element of the genius. The idea of, of coming back in and, and succeeding is not something that should be allowed. Uh, not to like poop up because I love Nelka and I love I love Nushka. I would have been I would have been hilarious if Nelka came back into the game. But also, we'll get into it a little. The tiebreak system also I think is crazy for the the Revenger team, the returning players. So elevator game, where do we go from here? So the Revenge team is back. It's Fabian. It's Nushka. It's Nelka. And then so with elevator game, so. The players two teams, and each team has got their own pawn on the board. For now, let's just focus on how the two teams are competing against each other. So all players are going to select either number one or zero on their turn. This is kind of representing the dice roll in a game of snakes and ladders or shoots and ladders, however you refer to it. So we've got this large board. So as they roll the dice, they're going to move the number of spaces determined on the number of zeros and ones that the whole group selects. And if it lands at the bottom of one of the elevators that go up, it goes up. If it lands on a certain other space, it goes down again, just like a game of snakes and ladders. And at the end of an hour, with a big asterisk next to that, but for now, let's talk about in the context of at the end of the hour, whoever's team is higher on the board wins the match. If the genius players win, then two of them will go into a final death match for the win. If the revenge players win, then one revenge player and one genius player goes into the game. So there's a 50% chance of a revenge player being in the final two, and therefore a 25% chance that a revenge player could come in in the last episode and suddenly sweep a win. So I I watched back the final three episode of season two. They play this game, and then they have a final death match to determine the final two. And if you don't win elevator game, if you don't end up with the most points, then you lose. I like that a lot more where the incentive is you have to be the one winner because it incentivizes people to sabotage each other rather than the sentiment of like, hey, as long as you're in the top two, it's fine. And as long like that, it's such a bullshit way for Anamaya to be eliminated. I really did not like the structure of this in relation to the finale. I wish that we had one more episode. I, I do really wish that we had like, do this whole episode and then save the death match for next week. We don't know who's going to make the final and then then do a final death match. It was frustrating. So I, so I don't so I don't mind the concept of having an elimination main match that about the final three. I can get on board with that, but you have to be particular with the games you pick. And to me, you have to pick a game where a player can just do it by themselves. Firstly, eliminated players should not have the ability to influence the direct outcome in this kind of way. Mm-hmm. Because none of these people lost to fall into a deathmatch in the first place, but an eliminated player could, in theory, just try and completely swipe them out. Because if those three eliminated players really wanted to, they could just work together with two of the finalists and they could just agree, we don't care about getting back and we want this person to just swipe them out of the game. There's not much they really could have done to stop it. Yeah. 
So I think that level of this kind of bothered me a lot. I think that I wish we could have done, if we had to do Elevator Game, do it earlier in the season or just not do it at all. I don't like Elevator Game that much personally, just because I don't like it where I don't like plays in the game versus plays out of the game. I just don't think it's a smart dynamic. It doesn't make sense to me. But I wish we could have done, if we had to do this 5-5 game at final three, yeah. would have worked well to me. Whoever comes last in 5-5 five, five game is out of the game and we advance that way. If we've only got eight episodes and 10 contestants, that to me is the perfect way to do it. It would have been a good game for that because it's very much a player who's doing it by themselves. They lose because they just weren't the best in that game. And, you know, uh, we were just on, I don't know about that, Thailand Podcast Survivor coverage, and Gia, the amazing Gia, where they talked about how much she loved scamming horse race. And I think that confined scamming horse race is a perfectly good challenge to do at Final Four here. Um, yes. to, to bring in their friends, bring in somebody else, and have them participate. That would have been totally fine, I think. Or even just do scamming horse race, right? Like, we would be much better off with a game that requires like sharing information at a final four than a game like the uh like five five the great equalizer i don't know how to describe it it's so much more competitive in the korean version when they do five five they are pulling people away from each other they're constantly trying to get the most information and here it was like way more simple and sort of smooth and easy going it just didn't feel right you know i wanted more chaos well, it's because there was a, re- I think the reduced stakes is such a factor because it's, mm. e- when it's kind of, I think when in any good competition like this, there's always more stakes when there's two outcomes. It's either you, it's this or this. So if they're done at final three, it's either you're in the top two or you go home. On the Korean show, it's you come first in the death match. Here, there's like this third option at final four, which I don't like for this type of game, where it's, you could win. Or you might come last, or, and you might be in the middle, and you might get pulled into the death match or not. That middle tier ruins all the tension in that game for me. It, is, it has to be this or that, and I think that is them willing to make people play competitively. Imagine them playing five five game with these people knowing if you come last, you've done eight episodes of this, and you're going straight home, no death match. That mm-hmm. would have squeezed so much more juice out of these people. They would have been so much hungry in the way they would have played. And it would have been a fair way to watch someone have to go out if we've got to do this kind of format. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But maybe we should, <laughs> I guess, not gripe too much an elevator game, even though it's kind of all we want to do. There's, but, oh, there's more to gripe about. There's more to gripe about we'll exactly. get when we get these so we envelopes. Should, <laughs> but I, okay, I don't actually hate elevator game as a game. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you dislike it as a game in general, just where it sits in the typical genius like main match order. But I think it's an interesting game of like, hey, you're trying to sort of bluff, double bluff, predict your opponent's moves, uh, gain points. There's the strategy of where you place your tokens because you can place uh, a token to earn points on any number on the board and you can double it with G coins if you want to. I think there is, I would like to play this game. It would probably take four fucking ever, as we can tell from some behind-the-scenes tea. But it doesn't sound like a, a terrible game. It might be like a Monopoly, where you're just like, I give up, you're the highest on the board, you win, I want to go home. I think this would be a very good game to, I, I want to see this at like the final six of a season with two teams of three that are both still in the competition. I think if you did something like that, this could suddenly become a lot more exciting game where you've got where we'd still have some kind of point system and the player on the winning team with the most points wins the match and the player on the losing team with the least points goes into the death match. I think there is something to this game that is exciting. 
I just think it needs to be a group of in players in the game. Because in the Korean version, the issue was that one team had an incentive to win the game. The other team did not have any incentive to win because what 20 Garnets isn't really worth potentially going into a death match or final three. So one group was just focused really on scoring points while the other team was more focused on actually winning. Whereas mm-hmm. I feel like if everyone in the game was still competing, it would have more of a dynamic of everyone's trying to succeed. And I guess that's why the producers decided to do something like this, because it meant that the revenge players were actually playing to win the game as well, which did help. It's just the fact where the supersized stakes of them being able to get back into the competition this late into the game is the problem. I'm not opposed to people being able to get back into the genius game. I don't love it, but I could go along with it. But this late in the competition, no. If they really wanted to do this, this should have happened at final five with the five revenge players and the fire players in the game. And then if someone got back in, they'd still have to survive a couple rounds to win. So let's talk about what the revenge players have to do. Also, I don't know if you noticed that in the notes that we have for this podcast, the first thing I wrote before I even wrote what the main match was, I wrote Nelka is serving with a million exclamation points. What a look. I, when she walked in that room, I was like, oh my fucking God, thank God she's back. Like <laughs> She brought the the absolute just like vibes of what the genius finale should be. Yeah, I was I, I was excited to see the three of them back, especially because you go back and think Kong's Dilemma with this group of six was so, so fun. Like, that was really, like, the episode where this, like, really got going. So getting to see this group of six playing together one last episode, I did enjoy that. I was excited for that. Yeah, especially, like, the, the Fabian versus Fareed sort of storyline really comes to a head in these moments. And while I didn't always enjoy it during the show, and we'll talk about what Fareed has to say about Fabian on Discord... Um, I do think that it is funny to know that they're two people who are absolutely on opposing sides of the game now having to compete against each other. Yeah, their little their little rivalry is definitely something that's definitely it definitely helped the season progress. It made the season much more enjoyable because in the cast of people who are all quite civilized, I would say, it was good to have that little like in-game drama just to spice things up. So here are the revenge team's challenges. And this is the order they were told to us. Fabian, all six players press zero three times during the genius team's turn. So not only do you need to press, do you need to get the genius team to press zero, zero, zero while their piece needs to move? but you also need to get your team to press zero, zero, zero. And that needs to happen three times, six zeros, three times, all when it's the genius team's turn. Deranged. Let's, let's, and let's go to the other ones for comparison. Nelka. Fareed has to get a maximum of 10 points, a minimum of 10 points and a maximum of 15 points. Okay. Nushka. The genius team has to take the elevator five times up and five times down. Why do they hate Fabian so much this episode? I just think that this, this, these were just so weird because I think that there was only really one player that had a reasonable task within their control. I think Nelka's task to me was the one that was like, this feels like a task she can actually actively do something. The other two tasks, like Nisha's task was doable on like Fabian's. However, it was kind of a, it was going to happen just because it was going to happen. Like it was going to be hard for her to actively make it happen. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong, it is very doable, to be fair. I think so. if someone like Fabian had that task, he could do it because he'd be able to speak to the other side and do it. But the problem is, if it was just getting the genius team to move up, that's not too difficult. But convincing them also that they've got to move down 
Like, how are you coordinate with them to get them to move down and doing it three, what, five times? I just think, to me, Nelka's task was the most reasonable. But also, at, the game just telling someone, oh, you have to specifically help or hinder one specific finalist of our choice. Like, I'm wondering, so I, I obviously wouldn't, didn't understand the envelope. I wondered, did the envelope specifically say for Reed's name or was it kind of like a we didn't see Nelka chose a person of her choice from the final three? I think it was meant to be for Reed. I think it was for Reed the whole time, which I agree with you. Why is it just one player? Why is it one person from the opposite side? I don't understand. Why isn't like Thomas and Anamaya part of other challenges? I actually, my big gripe is that uh, Fabian and Nelka's tasks are determined on what the genius team does. So you have to get zero 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 on a genius team turn. You have to get the uh, the genius team to take the elevator five times up, five times down. And I'm not saying that those are like too easy or complex, but when you think about it, if you're on the Revengers team, you're just trying to help yourself because if the other people accomplish their goals, that's bad for you. So there should be no reason why the task can't be designed to work for your own team the revenger team needs to take the elevator five times or both teams need to take the elevators four times like why why specifically does it have to be the genius team i guess it's maybe so you could strike up a bargain with the genius team i I, my gripe is that i think that if because you have your own incentive and the other players do not want to help you as a revenger it shouldn't matter what team your your task is assigned to there's just so many levels of confusion here and just so i'm assuming because it very much the task was not randomly assigned it was like the dealer was handing this is your assigned task were these tasks in the minds of the producers ranked in terms of difficulty because if that's the case i don't believe these were correctly ranked in terms of difficulty i i feel like fabian's is just way more difficult than the other two Fabian's is definitely the hardest. I don't think anyone could argue that that one is not the hardest. Like, that one was just... In- if I would have seen that, I would have been like, I give up. I would have been like, can I just go home? Uh, and the 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 Nelka one is kind of like... I guess you you have to be in the sweet spot, right? You could kind of max out if you're not careful. But at the same time, in the, uh, in the Genius game, in, in the Korean version... It's the, first of all, it's the exact same board, by the way. Uh, it's the exact same board from the Genius Korea, which okay, sure, go off. It, most of this shit's the exact same, anyways. Songmin gets like eleven points, like, and they completed the game. They went to the end. So if if the highest score they got was eleven, and you're like, oh, get it between ten and fifteen, I think that's pretty doable. To me, Nelka has the easiest one. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That's the task which, if I was one of the other two and I heard that was her task, I'd be very jealous. It's very... The the selection of tasks in general is quite surprising to me because... So this is the only game which I I knew elements of it coming up because I'd seen like a little preview for the episode, so I'd seen about the whole envelopes thing. I'm shocked that the envelopes were not mutually exclusive. My assumption was the tasks were going to be designed so only one person would literally be able to do the task. I assumed it was going to be tied to the main player's scores. It was either going to be make sure this player wins or make sure this player comes last. I assumed it was going to be along that kind of realm because then that kind of causes more logical infighting. Here, the infighting is a bit weird because everyone's like on this. It it was like if this was some kind of board game, like if this was like Ticket to Ride or Catan or something, everyone's operating their own area of the board where there's no real 
intermingling and attacking. So it's just the, the tasks were just a bit weird in that kind of sense. It was like more confusing incentives. It, it was just very bizarre to me where I feel like it could have been more dynamic and interesting if the tasks were simpler and mutually exclusive. Yeah. I mean, we could we could spend all day kind of griping on the tasks and I will. But for now, to talk about just how the game really goes, um, I want to give some insight that is actually... I was looking on the Discord. It's actually on the Genius subreddit. So the wonderful, uh, one of the wonderful um, Beitri Squad members who translates, uh, essentially, uh, Anamaya explains it in her Twitch. This, this, I'm just going to read it. It's been known that the producers have taken some liberties with editing for the sake of ensuring a coherent natural story with the short runtime. This was the case in The Great Equalizer, where the second round was actually five questions worth one point each, but was re-edited to be as if the round was three questions worth two points each. Additionally, they also took some liberties with the answer reveals, meaning that some of the shots of people presenting their answers did not correlate to the question asked. In this episode, there were a few particularly big changes. The first was that this game was originally had no time limit, and that the game went on for six hours. Due to how long it went on, the producers abruptly imposed a turn limit to end the game so they could film the final match. And in the end, the revenge team basically forfeited the game to the genius team, allowing the game to end in their victory. The main takeaway from these changes is that Anamaya was given an extremely rough shake this episode because placing your tiles towards the end is typically good gameplay, but due to the abrupt turn limit, her good strategy became horrendous, ultimately resulting in her being eliminated without any real chance to survive. Anamaya did a watch party on her Twitch where she explains it in much more detail. Um, apparently the main match was quite messy with cheating accusations and very long rounds. Right, cheating accusations. I mean, I can only assume the cheating accusation is, you know, like, hey, you told this person what you were going to do or whatever. I would hope. Because it's like, how do, what do you cheat? Do you, like, move your piece up secretly one more thing? Like... <laughs> Who, who is the most likely person in that group of six to accuse someone else of cheating, to try and tell the producer, to, to produce like, stop, no, this person is playing unfair? I think it's it's Fabian to Farid or Farid to Fabian. It's one of them. They're just like... <laughs> or, or Farid just being like, I think Thomas is fucking up. It does seem like Farid to me is like the person that would do this. If someone's done that, I think like Nelka and Nushka would maybe think it, maybe say something, but Farid's the person that would actively try and stop the production to say this is unfair yeah i mean she is a lawyer i'll sue everyone you know she'll just go for it i don't um, blame her i'd be the same so here's here's another comment from from the subreddit both anamaya and producers should have foreseen that the genius team doesn't really have an incentive to win it all and some uh, some of the revenge team might also want to stall the piece until they complete their appointments thus the glacial progress um and i think that's also yeah that's fair these challenges that the revenge team has are so impossible to accomplish and they can't be done with just one or two passes up the board. You know, three zero zeros is crazy. I don't think they get one zero in the genius Korea. I literally watched this episode hours ago and I don't think they get any zeros whatsoever. So that's a crazy task. Nelka and Nushka, I mean, Nushka certainly requires a lot of ups and downs, so she requires a lot of going around the board. So, yeah, this shit's going to take forever. Oh, my gosh. The, the game should have just had a turn limit from the get-go. Like, I don't understand why the producers didn't even just set, like, some wild, like, super high turn limit. Like, just tell the cast, we're going to do a match with, like, 50 turns. Like, pick some ridiculously high number to tell them, we're probably not going to get this far, but just in case this is what's happening... 
because then you could just accelerate the cast and say you're going to have to you've got like one minute to make each decision and you could accelerate the game that way at least yeah i think a time limit that like if you know let's say you and i are making the genius lrg and we're doing elevator game the first thing i would do is impose a time limit i would make it so that you know you have a minute 30 for each round of your voting uh or your turn so like you know you get a minute 30 to make your genius turn decision you get a minute 30 to make your revenge turn decision i don't know do you have any task ideas joshua for like what what could be done better I think if you're doing, again, if you're doing tasks, the need for them to be mutually exclusive is the key thing. So I think make this person lose to me is like the best easy task, like ensuring someone comes last. Because someone winning is too easy in the sense of it kind of just makes these boring pairs. Someone losing creates a bit more chaos amongst what's happening there. It creates a bit more variation than possible permutations for the final. I don't know. Is it like a bounty? Is it like a bounty round in a network where it's like, all right, you have to make sure this person gets eliminated and then you'll win? Exactly that. Like, genuinely, if you've got to these tasks, that's probably the best way they could have handled these tasks. Like, genuinely. I don't I don't think there's a better way to do this. Mm-hmm. I, I agree because with you. Because the mutual exclusivity is suiting me. Because this, I get why the tie break, I, I, like, I get the oh, last person standing tie break thing. I get why they did that, but I just think it's just a bit of a, lame lazy tie break to like suddenly throwing this idea of yes we're letting Billy Mae players come back but all of a sudden no, we do actually care that someone went home for someone else like what so let's talk really quickly about the signaling and the incentives to essentially be a lone wolf on your team because I forgot that this is the episode in, in the Korean genius where I thought that Sangman did the same thing which is like you know you basically put the number you're going to your your team is going to go for on the back of your device and signal to the other team. I forgot this is the episode that Sangman basically goes like, okay, if it's one, I'm going to hit my head. If it's two, I'm going to dance. And if it's three, I'm going to say, please, please, please. Which is like deranged. <laughs> Such a crazy choice. And halfway through the episode, he's like, oh my God, I, I keep hitting my head. It hurts so much. <laughs> Whereas Thomas, I think it's a much better strategy for signaling. But I was not surprised that Thomas was the one who came up with the signaling um, method of communicating with the other team. But I did think it was very funny that essentially he and Fabian could not get on the same page <laughs> in terms of their like secret discussions. What did you think of Thomas and Fabian's little uh, spy alliance? I was so confused because at first I was like, oh, obviously Fabian's just doing things differently, hoping to try and get zeros. But then I thought and been, been like, but these decisions aren't even helping Fabian achieve his task. So it doesn't even make sense in that regard. I loved it. I'm glad they did the signaling in a much easier way to think because I think it's a lot more logical. I do understand the concern because it's maybe something that's a bit more visible if you like, because it's like very blunt, like numerically. So someone would maybe catch it. But I loved the signal. I'm, I was glad to see it happening. I'm glad to see that even at this last step, people are playing in this strategic manner and have got the right kind of idea for what they need to be doing with it. I was also glad to see that it was getting caught on to, though. Which, yeah. not that it would have been that difficult, because they just marched off and had a conversation. I, I will say one of the very frustrating things about the Genius Korea is that, like, Yoan and Jung Hyun never realize what Sangwin is doing. They, like, never put it together that he's like totally leaving them out to dry so i was glad that farid is kind of like i'm sorry what are you doing right now excuse me <laughs> um can you like stop looking at fabian please <laughs> she's a legend i'm so glad she's our winner like i think adamaya would have been a great win and even thomas would have been fine with but farid is such a funny little weirdo i'm so glad she's won 
I think it's definitely like, well, going back and watching the season is going to be the most exciting person to know wins when you're watching. Because then when you get to see little things like her little fight at the final six, knowing that, okay, that's the person who's going to win the genius. So good. So is is there like a lot to talk about in terms of the elevator game? Essentially, the genius team wins because they were higher on the the board because a turn limit is imposed. They go, you have 10 minutes left. And then the edit has like 15 minutes. Oh, you know what I wanted to talk about? I was really fucking annoyed. And this was the episode where I found it the most egregious by the narrator. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. I totally, a lot of the way that it was just presented in general was quite frustrating. Like the narrator who is someone who I quite enjoyed throughout the season. I must say like during games like Minus Auction was great here. Not my favorite. I, I, she just kept being like, okay, so here's the next move they have to do. Wow, they've pressed two. And it really is, when you watch back the Korean version, you can just see how, how good the cast is at narrating what they need to do. They'll be like, you know, we if we go two, it's bad for us. I'm going to press zero. I'm going to press one. We also have, like, you know, I think much better confessionals from the Korean side where – I, I really didn't feel like I was getting validation for why the moves were being made from the players themselves. I just didn't, I really hated the narrator of this episode. She was driving me nuts. Well, I think the topic of confessionals is an interesting one because it's very much, this show has like a more typical reality show style where the confessionals are clearly taken like after the fact. Whereas in the Korean version, like the confessionals were like happening, like literally as the game was happening a lot more. Like, it was a lot more excited to literally see him just huddling, like, the corner of a room discussing what was happening in real time. Literally, like, as the game was slowing around him, and then a couple times, those, like, like kind of snapping out of those confessionals straight into something. This is a lot more, like, isolated from the game, it feels. Yeah. I, I, I And also, I in my head, I'm almost, like, because the way that it looks, I'm almost wondering if it's filmed, like, after the whole thing, because... Like, usually Fareed's in the same spot, Thomas is in the same spot. So you wonder if they've filmed this after all of the events. Like, on The Amazing Race, they filmed the confessionals after everything has happened, right? So you wonder if it's like they already know the outcome and, and, and what have you, or they don't have enough time. Because it took so long to record this game, which is nuts. Okay, let's, let me talk to you about what Fareed says about Fabian, because I think it's really funny and messy. She says... You, saw, you just saw a little bit from what I went through. It was hours and days long. Fabian coming and asking others to talk to them, but not with me. <laughs> she puts the like, uh, like goofy face emoji and then a crying laughing emoji. He literally was trying to get me out of the game more than trying to win the game. It was disturbing. I was just kind to him. Bought hairspray when he needed that. I, I think after episode two or three, I think he wanted me out so he could cooperate with Thomas and go to the final. But I heard that he was also trying to get Thomas out of the game. And I think Thomas heard that also and made a smart move with not giving the ring of immortality to Fabian. Jealousy is a bitch. I so badly want Fareed on another reality show. Like, she is the, she is the one person. Like, imagine her in, like, a Big Brother house or something. Yeah, I was I just think thinking that. absolutely crazy. Uh, and didn't, didn't Big Brother start in the Netherlands? I think the original version, yeah, because the, the, it was, what, 1999? Yeah. So let's, let's, let's reboot... Or if if they're still doing the Netherlands, <laughs> Big Brother, let's do it. Let's put her on. I would love that. <laughs> By the way, 
Nelk is the only one who accomplishes her task. Because luckily for us, they kept like a little tracker going in the, the bottom of the screen. So you could kind of see how the tasks were going for the Revenger team. So I want to see how close Nushka got. I think she got at least she got at least halfway because I remember the announcer telling us she was halfway. Yeah, she she did a really good job, but you know how much of it was actually her. That's the other part of things is we didn't really get to hear a lot from her. And something I really enjoyed in um, oh here we go, basic actually Nushka basically was one away from accomplishing her goal. She had she had accomplished four ups and five downs for the genius team. But, you know, how much control does she have over that at the same time? To me, this is so this is highlighting something I think is a bit boring with the tiebreaker structure. Because once Nushka achieves her task, everyone else is done. Like there is nothing they can do. It's not once it's not a task that they can like back her out of. Like once she accomplishes it, she's there. Unlike Nelka's task, they can push her out of. So if Nushka achieves that, the other two are just done. And if they know, if they find out where a task is, they're then just playing to help Nushka get to the final two. Like that's basically it. Is that if you're the if it's a tie, then if you're the most recent eliminated player, you get back in. Whoever lasted the most amount of episodes. That took me like an, a good two minutes to process when I was watching that episode. I was like, wait, what's going on? I think that's also goofy. I and I also feel like a Nushka versus Thomas deathmatch would have not been good it would have been freed Nushka versus freed i just i just that to me is not satisfying to see somebody who's eliminated both i don't think Nushka would be a great competitor nelka even like none of them were people that i was looking to see in a final anyways i i could have enjoyed watching them in the final if they somehow scraped through the game and then got there but just this sudden like oh they just slip in especially Nushka again who imagine the revenge team wins she didn't do anything to accomplish her task, and then she's coming at least second place on the season just because of that. Like, no. So let's talk about Fareed and Thomas are the winners, the winners. Um, <laughs> I'm going to miss the, uh, the Genius Bandage, Appa. Okay, what are your favorite moments, Joshua, from the Genius Netherlands? I think if, if – so if I look back and think about the moments that I'm going to most fondly remember – if I'm being very real, I'm not going to remember that much from the first four episodes. I think yeah. the only, like, the one episode I'll remember is is from the first episode with the encouraging Nelka who to pick for the death match. Like, that to me is a stand-up moment I'll definitely remember. Hell yeah. And, but then I think, looking at the latter half of the season, I think Kong's Dilemma is, to me, the most memorable game of the season, like, well, actually, no. Actually, no. So I think strategically it's the most memorable, but in terms of like iconic moments, fun moments, five-five game, the way it plays out. I think that woman suddenly turning that paddle at the last minute is something I'm ne- not going to be able to forget. And then, uh, as well as some of the questions these those people asked as well, I think those are like the really standout moments to me. But then again, they're also like more. They're not like the big bold strategic moments in the same way as the original Korean version, where I think those moments really stands out a lot more there's not a lot of that here in the netherlands version compared which isn't a reason why the show is worse next necessarily it's just a very different style of gameplay to me like the funny moments so i uh, as some people know i take a lot of screenshots of the genius when i watch because i find moments very funny and the mo- the screenshot moments i took were uh i took one from this episode which was 
Nelka saying, for the girls, which made me laugh. <laughs> Girl power. There's one of when Rick gets handed the ring of life that made me laugh a lot. And that's kind of it. There weren't a lot of very funny moments. Uh, oh, and there's I, one I, of Green making a weird little face when she gets a question wrong in the, the game that cracks me up every time I see it. But that's it. Like, there weren't a lot of, like, out loud hilarious moments, I think, from this season. Well, I think in this episode, we saw Fabian say one funny thing for the first time all season. It's the only thing he said all season I thought was funny. <laughs> Do you want to say? <laughs> go, go ahead, Naomi. You're, you're laughing about it already. Go ahead. Oh, God. I, I don't want to misquote him, though. So, he <laughs> does he say, like, um, like, either you hate me or you want to have kinky sex with me? I can't remember. Yeah, and then the announcer says, that's not very woke of you. <laughs> yeah, not very woke, Fabian, which is hilarious. <laughs> that that was the first time that I was like, oh, maybe Fabian's actually a comedian. Because that's a, that's something like a comedian would say that like no actual other person would say on TV. You know, not even that it's funny, just that like the only kind of people who would say that are comedians. <laughs> It was, yeah, it was, it was the first sign that that is his actual career path. Mm. So let's talk about this final death match. It is Password, but this isn't just your regular Password. This isn't, this isn't your, your mother's Password. Um, okay, here's how the game works. You create a four-digit numerical Password. And then your opponent asks you questions about that password. However, you must answer with a lie. You cannot answer with the truth. So if my password was 1234 and Joshua asked me, does your password start with a 1? I would say no. (laughs) And that's kind of how the game goes. The goal is to answer with your opponent's password before they answer with yours. And you're essentially eliminating uh, questions and options. Now, I don't know about you, Joshua, but I believe the... I've seen this talked about a lot, that the minimum number of questions you need to ask is like 12, 11 or 12, and you can you can get the answer. But they all have to be very detailed. Yeah, I'm trying to think about how you... That sounds like, without saying doing the exact maths, that sounds like roughly correct of how you could get it done. Like, it's an approximation, but that sounds like it makes sense. Yeah. So, uh, Joshua, what did you think of their strategies for these questions? Because I I have some thoughts, but I'm very curious to know how you felt about this. Considering that this is a game we have seen played out in the finale of Season 2. I think, well, firstly, like, if I remember correctly, in the original version, there was definitely at least one instance where someone answered incorrectly, right? I feel like the truth detector went off at least once. I think so. Am I just making that up? I didn't get a chance to watch it back, but I believe you're right. Whereas here, it seems like the players weren't making those types of mistakes. It kind of just came more of a game of just who's going to guess whose password first. I think some of the questions made sense and a couple of the questions were just a bit wild. Now, I'm assuming that this is one of those situations where a couple of things get lost in translation because I got a bit confused with a couple of the questions. It seemed like 
similar things were being said or the same thing was being said, but it got like a different outcome on the with the squares knocking the with the crosses on top of the squares. So I think that made some of it a bit strange, but they did seem to have two distinct strategies, which I found interesting. I think I would have been more likely to follow Farid's strategy, but I did find Thomas's strategy interesting. Yes, I was kind of surprised at the way that Thomas was going because I, and obviously this is a thing where it's like, yeah, I know what the strategy of how this game works. So I know what the most optimal choice is. And I was just kind of surprised to see Thomas, who I think has been one of the front runners of the game the entire game, really kind of make some wacky strategic decisions. His his first question is crazy. I'm I'm pulling it up now. Um, also, I like that they just wrote their numbers on Sharpie on like the blocks. <laughs> like I think they did something kind of similar in the Korean version, but it was like it was a little janky. It, it, again, it was very much giving LRG, right? Yes. Yeah, it, <laughs> it was giving LRG. Um, Thomas's first question is: Are there repeating are there repeating numbers in your code? Okay, I I think he started off with like the not important questions. Is my gripe? He started off with questions where it's like, oh, are there multiple digits? You should be focusing on each digit. Is is my hot take? You shouldn't be focusing on like, is this repeating? You should just try and get the answer to the digits. So. Um, I believe with the strategy of you ask, you can do it a couple of ways. You can go, is, is your number between 4,000 and 9,999 9, or is your number between those two numbers? Then that immediately eliminates half the board, right? If you get, uh, if it's below 4,000 or below 5,000, then you immediately divide it in half and you can suddenly focus on uh, smaller numbers. Then you do it again, or you split it. You say, is your first digit between, is your first digit even or odd? Is your second digit even or odd? And you continuously sort of, uh, as they say in this episode, split them sort of in a binary way. You split them down the middle in order to make it very clear what the number is or is not. Whereas I think some of Thomas's questions were super, like, esoteric. Um <laughs> Is your third number the highest number? It's like, okay. Like, that doesn't give you a number, though, Thomas. It doesn't give you a I, digit. Uh, so I think there's elements of questions that are like that that are quite interesting. So how I I would be asking questions. I would have done that, like, are at least two digits five enough? And I would have done elements like that because it means that, worst because worst case scenario, it means you're going to get the same outcome. Because let's say it's going to take you four, if you ask about each individual digit, it's going to take you four questions to work this out. You might be able to do it in less questions if you have certain information. So I would be wanting to ask questions like that. Some questions on a broad scale, but not a ton of questions on a broad scale, because you kind of need to get to the point quicker. The repeating digits question is actually quite useful. And Thomas's strategy, I think if I stand thought about a better way to implement it, is a really useful strategy you could utilize. Because I think once you have an idea about which number, if you can work out like the, the order of the four digits from the biggest to the smallest, and know there's no repeating digits, that can be so, so useful because you right. can knock out several things at once. But that's, I think in the heat of the moment, that would be harder to do because you would need to sit and know about it. If this was on like season four, for example, and they're doing like the knocking out death matches, so you kind of know everything that's coming up. If I could prep for this game, I think I could use Thomas's strategy pretty well. 
So something else somebody pointed out in a comment on Reddit was um, at 4020, Thomas asks, is your, is your first number lower than your last number? And Fareed responds, yes, which means no. But Thomas doesn't seem to remember to reverse the answer. Um, when he makes his guess, he guesses 5087, which is, if is your first number lower than your last number? No. So the first number should be higher than the last number. So he he basically, like, and and I actually wish the narrator, like, had pointed this out, right? Oh, Thomas didn't reverse a question. Thomas forgot to, like, change the answer in his head. That's more interesting to me, the idea that, that the game itself creates chaos in your brain than just, like, going straight forward through it and everybody guessing. Um, Freed also does a little mess up uh, because she... Uh, she asks uh, if the last. She basically finds out that the last digit should be even, but she guesses four three nine one, which is not right. And then she guesses four three nine zero. I will say I'm kind of pissed that we don't know what Farid's number is. Uh, I know. I I tried to ask her on Discord. She didn't get back to me. It's fine. I do wish we knew what it was. Um, and I so the way that the genius did it, which they didn't do in the Korean genius is they essentially put uh, a list of all numbers, zero through nine, and then they would cross them out as we'd learned information that would uh, that would cancel a number from being a potential option. I really liked this graphic, and I don't know how you feel, Joshua, but I thought it really helped us play along. I like text analyzing and have work it out, to be honest. Like, I, I feel, if, if, and as well because it was kind of just tucked away. If you were some big player, long person at home, you could have just put some like notepads or something in front of the squares to block them if you really wanted to. But I kind of just liked them and you could follow, you could kind of get an idea of who's doing better in the match. You could see who was close. It also meant you could immediately tell if a guess was definitely wrong. So I kind of liked that you knew that if someone made a guess, you kind of could have that feeling of, oh, this is actually possible. This could be the winning number. I feel like my one gripe is I wish we knew what their numbers were from the start. I wish that we knew what they were or it's one way to edit it because then you know how close they're getting, but it's first, you know, and you don't have to do it, preserve some mystery, but it's kind of frustrating when we don't know what Fareed's number is and therefore we don't know how close Thomas was. It seems like Thomas was pretty close, but we don't know for sure. Um, I also really like in uh, in this Genius Season 2 finale where uh, Songwin's number is like the year his dad was born and he's like very emotional about it. I remember that's like the first, that's like the only time the Genius ever really got me crying as I was like, oh my God, that's so cute and so sad. <laughs> and like Yohan was really close in retrospect, but we only knew that because we found out what the number is. Just, just the little things, right? I guess how, how, so how I would handle it is I wish we saw like confessionals from the players, like them telling us a bit about how they selected their number. So we learned like bits of their number, but not the entire thing, if that makes sense. So we learned like some information directly from the person who wrote the number down as the game progresses, but not just immediately, this is the number. So we're at the end of the genius. Gosh, oh. We're at the end. Are there any main takeaways from this season that either the Genius Netherlands season two should implement or that anybody who's thinking about the Genius, anybody who's listening over, let's say in the UK who wants to make a season or if you at home 
are drumming up your live reality game. What are what are the takeaways from this season of the genius? Um, so I've so I've actually been thinking about elements of this because um, the genius is something I've hosted online a couple of times. I've decided I want to do a full on genius mini finally at some point. So I've been thinking about different elements of it. And something that I land on regarding the production of the show is, and I mentioned this in the Discord earlier, for an international franchise, do you think it will be a good idea or not for them to ensure the players have seen some of the genius before the game is played? I think that if, if you're not going to get major celebrities like on season one of the genius, right? Because season one of the genius is, is the map for the rest of the genius if you're not going to have celebrities and you're not going to have um a a cash prize then you definitely need to let people see the genius because you need to let them have the idea that everybody's going to be outsmarting me everybody's going to be like super competitive and super backstabby so I need to match that level because if you don't match that level then nobody sort of feels the the pressure to be backstabby and smart and like super I I don't know what sly what's the word to really describe the behavior of people on the genius like sneaky I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of like, it's like sneak, it's like less egregious than sneaky. It's just like, it's like, it's like almost like cleverly chaotic. Like it's like people are creating chaos in like a very intentional strategic manner. Like people are not just doing things for no arbitrary reason most of the time. Like they're very thought out moments of screwing each other over. I don't quite know what to describe it as. I guess the idea is that if you don't, if you don't take initiative, you're going to get God. And I wish yes. that players had that mindset more in the the Netherlands genius. And I'm hoping that that will translate if they do a season two. And but maybe think, they won't do a season two because they blew up their building. And I think in I think for certain countries, if they were going to do this, it'd be a century you'd have to get and see the show. Like for a British version, it would be essential that people are familiar with the with the show because you need people to understand. Screwing people over is not a bad thing in this game. It's not going to make you seem like a bad person. It's just you're playing strategically and chaotically. And them seeing the show will also make them trust the producers because sometimes people are scared to screw people over in reality TV because they want to look like a villain. Here, often, you'll see like heroic players sometimes making this big, crazy move against someone. And it's not painted like they've done this bad thing to another person. It's they've done this good thing for themselves. Yeah. Which I think is a big, big distinction the genius makes. And I think it's so crucial to the show. And I think it makes people more willing to play a certain way because you come out looking like the good guy when you make a big move. You get the, you get the, everyone just is like, damn, I'm just not as smart as him. And you ride that wave till you're on four seasons of the genius. <laughs> just like Sangman. Um, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that there's not so much of like a bad thing of backstabbing because you look like you're the smartest in the room and it wouldn't that be nice. I just want to be the smartest. Um, well, overall, if you had to pick a favorite main match or a favorite death match, what would you pick? What, what was your favorite from this season? 
I think so. Based on how it plays out in this season, I think um, I, it would either be Kong's Dilemma or Fire Five Game. And I don't know which I would pick, but I really enjoyed both for different reasons. But I, oh, I think pressed to choose, I have to choose Kong's Dilemma. But I did also really, really love Fire Five Game, and I think I could watch Fire Five Game more times over because I think it's got more specific moments I'd be watching out for. But as a whole piece of television, Kong's Dilemma is so well done, especially because it brings in the Ring of Immortality after it as well. Yeah, I really liked Kong's Dilemma. Um, and I did enjoy the... There was a monorail between Nushka and Fabian I also really yes. liked. I thought that was a really good monorail. Um, and I, I liked their... Uh, I liked their... Um, Food chain. I thought it was a good food chain. That, that that was a good food chain. It was a good start to the season. I will give them that. That played out very well. But especially watching some of those very silly moves get played out was quite fun. Uh, the the worst food chain. No offense to Anders, but the worst food chain is still in Survivor Maryland season seven. So it's all right. You can't do worse than that. <laughs> food chain. What is the means challenge? Yeah, they they did not. It was like a. Actually, I don't remember. I think both tribes were going to tribal council. Um, but th- mm-hmm. they just kind of were pretty open about what they were. And so it was like kind of obvious what was happening, but it was still a funny one. Good challenge. So that kind of brings us to the end. So let's talk about what we're going to do in the future here on silent podcast here on fighting a genius podcast. Joshua, do you want to, do you want to break it down? What, what the future holds for us? Yes, so what we're really excited to do is we're going to go back and watch the original Korean version of the show. So we're going to go back, we're going to work, starting with season one, episode one, and just watch the episodes again for us and talk about these episodes. And we're going to talk about them in a spoiler-free context where, well, mostly, like there'll be a couple times where you may like hint to something that's coming up, but like in a sense of you, in a way where, you could watch along with this being your very first time watching The Genius and you could follow along the episodes with us and you'd be able to keep up. Kind of like, because when it comes to The Genius, because so many people have watched it, it's very hard to have places to watch and there's not that many places you can go and listen to what other people think about it. So we thought it'd be a good way to have people to be able to get into the show or if you've seen the show before, a good opportunity to re-watch the show along with us. Yes, I think, I remember when I was first watching The Genius that... I was really excited to watch, but it felt like not a lot of people were talking about it or all of my friends who had like already watched like four years ago didn't remember a lot of things that happened. And I really want to delve into both the strategies that they implement, the characters that we really love. And I also want to have it so that if you start watching the genius, if you've decided to watch the Korean genius, that you can watch it without fear of getting spoiled for the season, for the, you know, the episode down the line, and you will be able to listen to us the entire way through. So you can, you know, in tandem with watching the genius, you can check in with us. So the way that's going to work is we'll probably do things like watching the first episode, watching the last episode of the season, but also doing two episode chunks. So episodes two and three, four and five, and we'll go from there. And it's going to be great. It's going to be, uh, <laughs> we don't know when we're going to start, but it's sure going to be a fun time. So stay tuned for us. And we're going to have some fantastic guests. Some people from our genius past, I think, will join us 
to talk about why they love the genius. And I'm super excited for that because if there's one, if there's two things I believe, it's watch College Survivor and watch the genius. And that, uh, I could take those over really the last three seasons of Survivor any day. So that's my hot take. I mean, I guess I mean I've done I've done the latter with watching the genius. Watching College Survivor, I've still actually not got around to. So I guess that that is the next thing on the agenda now that the genius Netherlands is over. You know, I've got some I've got some good recommendations for you, but we'll talk about them off air. So, Joshua, where can people support you and find you besides the links in the descriptions that I have easily provided for everybody who's listening? Yes, yeah, so again, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at JoshyFLX, as you can see. Additionally, um, so I am hosting a live game over here in the UK with my friend Rob. Um, we are at Survivor Game UK. Their applications are currently open. If you want to come spend three days and two nights living in the great British farmland, it's, it's going to be fabulous. And yeah, um, if you're a fan of the Genius, you fancy potentially playing a version of the Genius, I am hosting a Genius Mini at some time in the near future unsides on the date currently so if you follow me on twitter updates will be posted there is it going to be like um i've always enjoyed joshua would do would do these basically where like you would do a main match and if you were in the top two you would go to a death match and then you'd win is it going to be like that or is it going to be more of like a long-term one like we've played it's it's gonna be more fleshed out multiple rounds this time but it's going to be all still in one day so it's going to be multiple rounds it's not going to be the whole length of the actual genius because we've seen sometimes how long it can take to a fully fleshed season of that as an online game sometimes what a year plus no but it's gonna be a one day game but it's gonna be a fun experience and i also want to do a couple more like the one you mentioned as well because hosting the genius and watching people play the genius is just so fun it's really great especially i think uh there are some really really smart people we know who are so good at the games um and also, something I just wanted to say about this season of the Netherlands is that we didn't ever see somebody who didn't go to a death match. Every single player in the final three went to a death match. The final four even went to a death match. And I think that's great because it, again, demonstrates uh, that people really won their spot into the game. Now, maybe there are some people kind of like me who have such a good social game that they never get pulled into a death match. Um, and we love those people, too. But I, I really like that about this season that we saw everyone go into a DM. Yeah, when the announcer highlights that in the finale, I was like, oh, this is really exciting. They've all really shown that they're really good at this game. So congrats to Fareed. Congrats to her on a wonderful season of The Genius. She got a little trophy, which I thought was cute. Um, it's no pile of money in exchange for garnets at the end. <laughs> Remember when they brought out the pile of money in season one? That's <laughs> so funny. So I, 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 I do miss that. I I wish the G-Coins had some type of value, even if it wasn't very high. Um, so they blew up the factory, so we don't know where Season 2 is going to take place. But thank you In for listening. In an actual listening. studio, maybe? They will have actual <laughs> rooms? Yeah, I, side, I kind of like seeing this whole season play out. I really like the set of, a, of, a, of rooms better. Yeah, like... Area. Like, don't... Like, the room... Like, the set grew on me, don't get me wrong. Like, I learned to be okay with it, but... I do wish that there was rooms. It doesn't, like, the rooms don't have to look as special as the Korean version. Like, literally, like, the design was perfect. You don't want, Just like, add- a framed photo of Obama on the wall? <laughs> I, I do love how intricate and random some of the rooms were in the Korean version, but keep this design and just add walls around the areas they have. That's genuinely all it's going to take. Uh, so, 
tune in when we start talking about the Korean genius. We'll talk about the sets. We'll talk about all the wacky elements of this first season coming soon. Thank you for listening. Follow me at Amy Calhoun on Twitter. And uh, follow Silent Podcast. Give us a five-star review. Everybody on the Silent Podcast Network works so hard to bring you uh, great episodes of reality television coverage, of uh, regular television coverage. Everybody's working super hard, so give them a five-star review and leave a comment and follow us on Twitter at silent underscore podcast. Oops, I don't know the Twitter handle. Okay, thank you everyone for listening. Have a great rest of your night. Bye! Bye!